Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say welcome back, to the Indie Football Podcast World Cup Daily Edition, live from not Moscow today. For the first time we've taken it on the road and we are in Kazan. I say we because it's not just myself today. I am with Jonathan Liu to my left. Hello. Hi. And to my right, a special guest. Friend of the podcast. Friend of the Indie Football Podcast. Um, and how else should I describe it? What, European soccer correspondent or just European correspondent? European sports, yeah. European sports correspondent for the Wall Street Journal. It is Joshua Robinson. How's it going? Uh, we're going rather well because we've just witnessed what might be one of the best World Cup games that you're ever going to see. Um, and it might be the breakout of one of the kind of stars of the next generation. Johnny, in 13 words, define that game for us. I'll give you one. Go on. Abracadabra Alakazan. Uh, and, and what does that mean? In Oh, uh, that's bad. That's really bad. In the cooking pot, as uh, Kazan is known in its local language of Tatar, um, we saw a game that, that kind of bubbled over with, with goals. We had, what, seven in the end? Seven. The one at the end, which I completely left out the match report, but uh, seven goals in the end, two of which were flipping unbelievable strikes. Um, I'll, I'll beat that out. Benjamin Pavard with a, a sensational goal uh, to make it 2-2, and Heldi Maria with a, an incredible strike from outside the area to make it... 1-1 there was a, a couple of crap goals as well Mercado kind of dangled a leg at a messy shot um, but for all of that the game was really about one guy and that was Kylian Mbappe that, that was one of the best games I've, I've ever seen like live or on telly and it's one of the best individual performances uh, I've ever seen at a World Cup or, or anywhere else um, he didn't do everything right Mbappe he kind of misplaced a few passes ran the ball out of play a few times he was definitely heading straight out of play when Marcus Rocco came and piled into him like a like a, a guy in WWF with a deck chair um, and but some days you are the pigeon and some days you are the statue and he didn't need to do everything right he was so so exuberant and so fast with every time that he touched the ball that Argentina was at a complete loss with how to deal with them. They, they had no clue with how to deal with this blur that, they, that was just spinning around them. We, we talked about how Argentina's defence is just so lacking in, in quality, in speed and in brains. And, and pretty much the play that defined all of that and, and brought it all together nicely was Marcus Rocco, as you said, um, assaulting Mbappe when he was kind of, as Ken Early put it quite nicely, Forrest gumping the ball <laughs> out of play. He, he was... It was like a runaway train that was starting to wobble as it was going off the track. And then Rocco inexplicably uh, kind of took his hands to his face to make sure he absolutely dragged him to the ground. Um, because up till the point that that penalty was given away and which Griezmann eventually scored, Argentina might, surprisingly, have been the better side. Yeah, they, they started the game quite well. They, they played with um, Pavon and Di Maria quite 
like basically as wide as possible in order to give Messi the, the maximum amount of space uh, in the centre. Kind of a false number nine to, 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 to go with their false coach. Um, and it worked. It worked for a bit. But then they, they sort of, I think Argentina gave the ball away. They, they clearly built their game on, on possession. And, you know, there's, there's, there are a few better sides in football than, than pure, pure pace. And, uh, and yeah, Mbappe was away. And, and it, it really changed the whole feel of the game, like, like Josh says. There was a sense of possibility, this sense that you were watching somebody maturing and becoming a superstar before our eyes, a global superstar. It was kind of nice, Josh, that that, that one run was the moment that felt so significant. Even though, and, and it didn't end in a goal for him at all. In the end, Griezmann strikes home the penalty. Um, but, Gries, but Mbappe gets the two goals in the second half, which completely kill off Argentina. Yeah, and I want to say about those first 15 minutes as well. He actually has three times he runs at the defense. Argentina was looking quite stable up front, but they were immediately exposed at the back with as soon as Mbappe had the ball on the on the run that leads to the penalty, he picks it up after a set piece at the other end of the pitch and he runs maybe 60 yards. It, it's really incredible. I mean, he leaves Mascherano in his dust. Um, he leaves at least one other defender in his dust as well. And then Rajo has the complete brain fart. Um, and brings him it was a moment where like, um, it was kind of reminiscent of he looks when he's running he looks more like um, Ronaldo the original Ronaldo kind of in terms of the way he gets to top speed so quickly and that top speed is just searing pace and he powers through he's got very kind of upright running style um, it was 20 years to the day since that Michael Owen run at the Argentina defence and uh, it, it didn't remind me of that per se but what happened after that when, when he'd done them a few times was that Argentina started defending like that where they were just so petrified whenever he picked up the ball and started dribbling it would be really great if Kylian Mbappe ended up at Stoke wouldn't it it would be great for Stoke <laughs> um, you know he, he today I, kind of, I mentioned this that 200 million euro players shouldn't need coming out parties really um you know he's already been fairly established uh, on the uh, you know on the Champions League stages, an incredibly good player and one who is going to be one of the best players of a generation. But then today was something different. I, I think it's also easy to forget that most of the people most of the time aren't watching the Champions League as intensely as we are, or you know aren't following Ligue 1 or or what he might be doing on a week to week basis. The World Cup is is a completely different scale, which is easy to forget when you're at the World Cup. But for me, I would say. Millions of people today saw him for the first time and are coming away from that game thinking, he's 19? What was I doing when I was 19? My, my, my wife has never heard of Kylian Mbappe and she, and, and she has now, you know. But she, like, and there'll be like, millions of people go, who, who is that guy? He's what, he's 19? And that's how these things, you know, that's how these things blow up. Especially back in South America where they are kind of sometimes a bit late on onto the European scene. And, I mean, Argentina aren't going to forget that name in a hurry. They brought so many fans here, Johnny. We were kind of surrounded by them on the way here. They've come a long way, and it felt like, you know, this, they, they kind of knew the importance of this to Argentina. And in the end, it was a team that played basically four different formations, four completely different teams in four games. Uh, the coach completely, I don't even know the word for it, just em- emasculated and fallen apart. And... It, it looks a bit bleak for them now. It, it, I've just come out of Sam Pauli's press conference, and what he what he said was that 
they didn't have a clear idea. That was his, those were his words. We, lacked, we we didn't have, we didn't have a clear idea. We we went for pragmatism. We had a, we had a clear need to win, and that kind of outweighed any footballing identity that, that that we had. That was probably the most interesting thing he said in it, like a fifteen minute press conference. And I, th- I mean, I think that, I think that's true. They they spent they've been spending six months, six years trying to work out how to how to get the best out of Lionel Messi and, and they, they came to the biggest tournament in world football and, and it, it became very clear they didn't have a clue I, th- I think the most extraordinary thing about that 15 minute press conference was what he didn't say which were the words I resign um, how does he stay in that job now? well his name is like has been destroyed back home um, but there is this weird thing where I do think that he'd almost be more suited now to the job that's coming than the job that he he's had now like you know Sabella was probably more suited to this job and he's the one who, who needs to come next but I, it's impossible you feel for, for him to stay the problem is that the Argentine FA are already I think they're still paying two of the previous coaches so Sampaoli I think was the best paid coach they've ever had so and as, that's the team coach leaving just past us there I think that would be something that stays on their mind because they just haven't got much money and you know I'll go more into that into a piece tomorrow the fact is that they part of the problems in with Argentine football they haven't got any money because it all went missing because they had the most corrupt you know they were one of the most corrupt FAs on the planet uh, with with Grandona in charge um, there is no real good youth system not like you see in Europe or anything like that the players that come through are basically luck it's it's not judgement uh, Aguero hinted at retirement after that Mascherano confirmed his retirement after that so it's going to be a very different looking Argentina team uh, whether or not Sampaoli is in charge um, how do you think kind of from a Messi point of view it was obviously his final ever World Cup game you'd expect probably his final Argentina game he's already retired once from Argentina maybe do you think like it was just impossible to make this fit or is it you know, he got into three finals and he was only a couple of bounces of the ball or, or lucky decisions away from from winning three major trophies, including the World Cup. I, I think I think two things. I think Messi will retire and I think Messi will be back in, uh, in time for Qatar. Uh, he's, what, he'll be 34? And I, I, I wonder, yeah, 35. I wonder by the time he, do, he, he reaches that age whether he'll, he'll simply be a central midfielder and whether... They'll work, you know. They'll they'll work out, or they'll realise, or they'll, they'll 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 experiment with with this this idea that if you have the best player in the world, you give him as much of the ball as possible, and you and you put him in in in, in a spot where where he can influence the game as much as possible. And uh, I, I don't I don't really want to get into questions of legacy here. I I, I think that that's kind of a bit of a sideshow here, but. Um, you know, obviously bitterly disappointing for him but I, I think what, what we've learned is that basically the limits of what one player can do in a dysfunctional team and, and you know that, that's something that not even being the greatest player in the world is, is, is going to be able to fix People compare it to Maradona but do you think it's impossible for one player to win a team of World Cup now compared to 1986? I think the gaps between the teams are much smaller so especially once you get into the knockout rounds I mean you know there's in 1986, you're still in a situation where there are massive gaps in just professionalism across the international game. That's all closing because of all the players who are now in the knockout rounds, how many would you say play in top European leagues? 80%? At least, at least, yeah. Um, so we're in a position where I think the, you know, 
with with the the options and the the sort of room for one player to make that huge difference is much smaller. Um, but, but I'm curious to come back to something Johnny said. Do you think what makes you think that by Qatar they'll have sort of something worth coming back to for Messi? Yeah, I mean the the, the talent is there. I mean Sam Sam Pauli did you know talked about the young players coming through that that he seemed to think the future was was very bright. I mean the. I guess a lot depends on what happens at Barcelona over the next few years, what happens with his body, and, and what what happens at the, you know at the Copper America. But I, you know, if if you're Messi and you and you and you're sitting on that on that team coach that, that's just gone by, do you? I mean, are you thinking, yeah, that's it, or are you thinking this can't this can't be it, this this can't possibly be the end? I, I will say, I think something you were hinting at as well there uh, might be that four years from now, there are an awful lot of sponsorship considerations as well. <laughs> I mean, a World Cup without Messi is uh, not as appealing to advertisers as, uh, you know, that's that's why they were probably overjoyed when they scraped into the World Cup on the last day of uh, Common Ball qualifying. And, and, well, I mean, the AFA would almost go bankrupt if they, they didn't. They're just so dependent on, on him. And it's, as I say, one of the big problems. All the money that's gone missing through corruption is why they have to go and play these friendlies in Bangladesh and playing against Haiti and then organising a friendly for Israel, which gets cancelled. It, it's, um, it's a big mess that goes back a long time. If Messi does, say, disappear from the picture and come back for Qatar, they could have like an interesting young forward line, maybe Pavon, Lautaro Martinez, who was very close to making the squad this time, got cut from the 28 to the 23. Um, uh, Dybala, who inexplicably didn't see game time when Maxi Meza must have played, what, like 180, 200 minutes at this tournament? Still not clear on who he is. No, uh, um, the, the links between Chiqui Tapia, the Argentine FA president, and... Uh, the president of Independiente, Meza's club, uh, Moyano, uh, probably uh, explain a lot as to not only why he's in the squad but why he was playing as well. That's that's the sort of thing that you're working against with their football governance body, uh, governing body. Um, but I mean, I think the Argentina post mortem will continue tomorrow. All the players filed out of the mix zone like a funeral, like one by like in a line, one by one, all staring at the ground. Uh, it's obviously like for them, like a big shame and the Argentinians will overreact to all of this uh, no doubt but what now for France because France are going to play Portugal or Uruguay next I'll I'll talk to Critch a little later and and find out what happened there but do you think France have got enough to go all the way I mean like they beat uh, an average-ish Argentina team today they haven't possibly played anyone good yet no I mean I I think it could have been. It couldn't have been set up better for them, or certainly better for Mbappe there. And I think if they want to beat a team like Uruguay or Portugal, semi-final, we're guessing Brazil, final maybe Spain, maybe England, um, they'll have to they'll have to win those games in different ways to the way they won this one. Um, so you know, I don't think they're the finished article yet. But Christ, what a what a what a what a step up that was. And and that's the sort of performance that really galvanises a team, a nation. It makes the whole, it makes every other team in the tournament think we don't really want to play this side. And that's that, that's 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 an incredibly powerful tool to have. I've spent about four years shredding Deschamps, Josh. Do you think they can win despite him, or, or do you think he actually is adding something to the party here? I mean, I don't think the shredding of Deschamps is finished, but and and it seemed to reach a fever pitch again after the Denmark game, which in the French press was being widely described not by one or two, but widely described as an enema. Uh, enema. Yeah, uh, it was. Like, you know, like the a, French press has a like very like sort a, of a, a thing that you. Yes, 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 that's what an enema uh, is. Yes. 
unpleasant. Um, He's an enema of the people. You know, the French press is very descriptive. They've had a field day with, with Deschamps before, but, you know, if... I, I mean, I guess they're also prone to getting carried away. You know, if, if they can take the next... I, I guess if they beat Portugal or Uruguay, then there's no reason why they wouldn't believe because they've knocked off two of the notional contenders. Um, I'm just not sure... I'm just, you know, a lot, a lot of it came together nicely for them today, just because Argentina's defence was so slow and they had so much speed. Um, but I guess that speed is one of those things that you can't legislate for. It doesn't matter like, who you are. If, if you've got the fastest players, you're always going to have an advantage over an opponent. Yeah, I, 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 I do expect teams to to approach Mbappe slightly differently now. But that's the thing; they have other players that that can win you games. I mean, I, I, Griezmann. Who had a you know a good game, but wasn't you know he wasn't as influential as we we've seen him. Um, you know they they have they have big Olivier Giroud to, to, to you know to, to stick it on you know on his head and then in the hundred and eighteenth minute they have they have different they have different ways of go, of going about their business and so the most talent you know the most talented squad in the competition are, are finally kind of they they finally show you know, they're finally showing the kind of potential that, that people have sort of invested in them ahead of the tournament. And if they approach Mbappe differently, if they decide, right, we have to play a deep line, then that just creates more space for Pogba in between the lines. It, it, what it does is it allows Giroud to be closer to the goal so they can cross the ball more. It allows Benjamin Pavard to inexplicably just smash one home from 25 yards. You know, the, the, the way that France can hurt you is not just through Mbappe. They've got so many different kind of facets to the attack. Um, what, what do you think is their, their real weakness, apart from the coach? I mean, the youth of the defense is, I mean, I think the oldest defender out there today was 25 or 26, Varane. Um, I mean, there, there's a lack of experience in there. And you've, you've got Lloris there to kind of hold it together, but he's not traditionally the most vocal goalkeeper in the world. Um, you know, he, at Tottenham, he has a defense that kind of organizes itself. He, he's not proven at, at doing that, but he's one of the veterans in that team, along with, weirdly, Griezmann, who's 27. Um, and... You know, they they have sort of a under Deschamps. They have a, despite what we saw today, a, a conservative tendency. Um, in the, late in the first half, when they conceded that Di Maria goal, they were sitting back. They they had given up on pressing for about 15 minutes. Um, so they kind of invited the pressure from that mediocre Argentina team. Just just on on, on Deschamps. I mean, does, does this kind of not indicate how maybe maybe the the role of the manager in in a tournament like this is. You know, slightly overplayed. I mean, Raymond Domenech was was two penalties away from being a world champion. You know, Roberto Di Matteo is a Champions League winner. Roger Lemaire is a European champion. Right. Yeah, Fernando, San- Fernando Santos is a European champion. It's it's um as 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 Frank de Boer wrote in, in in one of his columns that once you once you get to to this stage, the really elite teams and the best players should know what they're doing. And you know, this French team clearly has as big big game players and, and, and big brains as well good, like good footballing brains that can that can think their way through a game and, and what we were saying before you know with now can France go on and win in different ways who would have thought they could play like this after watching that Denmark game um, that was some of the most torpid stuff I've ever seen um, even with the changes it, it still didn't look like a team that had any sort of uh, clear like kind of, again what Sampaglia went through the, the idea and for so many coaches it's important to have an idea and you know, 
Sampaoli is, is dogmatic in, in his beliefs and then he strayed from them this time whereas Deschamps isn't a guy who's known for his idea but then that's kind of a criticism as you see it in his team. Well, he was trying something different at the start of this tournament. He wanted them to play in a 4-3-3 and press very high. And then in the first two games, that sort of broke against them. Until he, uh, In the first game, that went against them. In the second, he went back to a 4-2-3-1. And it was just, you know what? We went to the, finals of the, the final of the Euros with this. Let's just stick to what we know works. It may not always be the most exciting. It may give us a Denmark game. But as we saw today, it can also give you this. And this uh, was spectacular. Uh, thank you both for, for joining me. Uh, I'll talk to Critch a little bit later after Uruguay-Portugal has concluded. Um, and uh, I guess it's a big game tomorrow, the uh, Russia-Spain one. Because if the hosts go go home, they don't really go home. If the hosts stay home, um, then it's, <laughs> it's a kind of weird one. That. Uh, then it is bad for the tournament. But I think everyone expects them to go out tomorrow. And the late game is Croatia-Denmark. Um, which is one of those kind of like 7 out of 10 versus 7 out of 10 games uh, any big thoughts about tomorrow's quarterfinals? Uh, they'll have quarterfinals for a start yeah sorry they'll, they'll, I think they'll have to go quite a long way to, to match what we've seen today it's um, you know just I, I, not to get like mawkish or sort of self-indulgent about this but that was a real privilege to watch and uh, what better not to finish it on uh, gentlemen thank you both very much and uh, we'll catch you tomorrow after we've been at Russia Spain at Luzhniki where it would be you I and Miguel I believe terrific this is Paige the co-host of Giggly Squad and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Critch, mate. Uh, it sounds very windy where you are, but uh, give us your thoughts on the game then. Hi, Ed. Yeah, um, main takeaway from that, I think there's a lot of talk before the game about expecting something of like a dirty war, if you like, word shithousery was on social media and uh, used in quite a few articles, actually. I hope I don't, we don't get the explicit tag on iTunes for that. But, yeah, and I think expecting a dirty war, but in the end, what we saw was kind of just a cold, clinical assassination, if you like, um, from Uruguay, who just were content to sit deep, rely on the defence, and then pick Portugal off when they could. Um, the first goal does come from a break and it's a stunning bit of direct play the one two I, I, i'm trying to think of a comparison I, I, 
there's just there's just I'm, I've never seen the ball move that quickly across the pitch between two players and then converted. I mean, it's so it takes two passes. It almost covers the width of the pitch twice. I, I said in my report, um, and it's just you know we know Uruguay now. They've got this defence. Didn't hadn't conceded a goal in the tournament up to today, but. It's only it only it's only so much, and they still rely on the kind of genius of, um, of Suarez and Cavani as a partnership, and they needed that today in order to get past Portugal, and Cavani certainly delivered. And we've talked about Uruguay's strengths before, but you know how impressed were you to to see them in the flesh? I was impressed, yeah, and they're going to be a test for France. Like I said. They're a team that obviously has this defence, Godin and Jimenez from Atletico Madrid, who up to this point were very impressive. I think they were scrutinised the most they've been in the tournament so far, perhaps the most they've been for, for some months. They haven't conceded since November, Uruguay. Um, and then tonight, that's their first goal of 2018 that they've conceded on the corner from Pepe. But it's, it's obviously a strength of theirs. And it, it, it's just, it's quite, it's quite, Impressive to see just how rigid and you know they're not a fluid team. You would say there's kind of they have the they have the defence and they have the forwards who has to do very separate roles. You don't really see the fullbacks committing themselves in the transition. You don't see them pushing upfield. But it's clear and it's uh, it's a pragmatic you know style. It's something that Tabarez has relied on for many years now, and it's simple but effective. And you imagine against sides like France, who are obviously very clinical today against a chaotic Argentina team, but they have been known to miss chances before, have been known to, you know, not quite take a game by the scruff of the neck, and, and that's, you, you can't accuse Uruguay of that tonight. So you look at the quarterfinal and you think, yeah, they stand more than the chance of getting through and emulating the semi-final spot that they got in 2010, of course. You wouldn't bet against them getting to the semi-finals. Uh, you would bet against Portugal, obviously, because they're actually uh, out of the competition. Uh, they kind of had the same problems, I guess, that we saw earlier on in the, in the competition and, and, and never got over them. They were dominated, I guess, in the, in the group stage by Morocco um, and just weren't that good. So, you know, broadly, what do you, what do you think of Fernando Santos' side uh, and where they go from here? Well, what were our concerns about Portugal after the group stage? I think they'd maybe put in one really, well, I don't even know if you could call it impressive, but the game against Spain, they obviously did well to, to get a 3-3, uh, to come back so late and claim a point, but then again, that was all down to Cristiano Ronaldo, and, and that was the main question, wasn't it, whether they are capable of um, delivering when he doesn't. Um, he was frustrated tonight, got a very frustrated figure all the way through, uh, especially after Cavani's opener, he started looking, turning inside, looking for any space, any kind of gaps he could find for a shot, um, but he was coming up short, and then you look at the rest of the team and you, and, and you just think, even though they've got players like Bernardo Silva, who I think is a supremely talented player, just doesn't quite come off, and perhaps it's... You know, I, I don't really want to bring up the subject of Lionel Messi, but perhaps it's a similar thing where players are looking always to bring their star man into the game, and that takes something away from the all-round performance. You got that sense with Portugal tonight. They dominated for so long, but it was, you know, possession without any any real incisiveness. Um, Uruguay was scrutinised, like I said, the defence came under pressure, but... You just unless unless it was going to be a mistake on a set piece or 
a shot from range. I think Ronaldo's goals, most apart from the header against um, against Morocco, all of them have been from outside the box. And you you felt that tonight, you know, it, it would take something like that to to break through um, Uruguay. So Portugal leave, and I, I'm kind of left with the impression that even if they come up a, a team that wasn't quite as well drilled and organised and essentially as good as Uruguay, then they might have run into problems as well because. Overall, we haven't been overly impressed with what we've seen from them in, in each of their games in this tournament. Thank you, Critch. Um, I'm Emalian, back in Moscow. It's uh, 3.01. The podcast started in Kazan, went via Sochi, and uh, is, is now back in its spiritual home of our Moscow apartment. Um, 24 hours ago, Johnny and I left the apartment for this uh, that game, which ended up being the incredible game between France and Argentina. Uh, as it turns out, we arrived at the airport and then I um, was too polite basically and waited in the queue that was really slow for check-in, waited in the queue, waited in the queue, didn't kick up a fuss that it was getting a bit late and then um, they wouldn't let me on the flight so I had to uh, beg them to put me on standby for the next one which cost me a lot of money out of my own pocket and uh, I basically had to count down the people not turning up and eventually I got on a flight, got to Kazan, um, and then as you heard earlier on in the podcast, uh, it was quite the game uh, that we witnessed there. So it's been a long old uh, day, I've been awake for about 38 hours now, so I'm not going to preview uh, the Spain-Russia game or Croatia-Denmark, uh, but I'm sure you'll forgive us all, um, and if there is a problem then just uh, write to me and I'll give you a refund. Um, thanks as ever for, uh, for staying tuned, there's going to be a load of good stuff on the website. Not to mention Johnny's brilliant piece on, on Messi and Mbappe, which you should absolutely go to the website and read right now. Uh, there's my report on there. There's going to be uh, a piece I've written about the one person who could defeat Ronaldo and Messi, and, and that's Father Time. And perhaps that this is uh, the youthful kind of revolution coming in, a new generation emerging. Uh, Jonathan Wilson, uh, we have talking about the, the, the failures of San Paoli and what Argentina might go next. Uh, my big piece Sunday for Monday going to go live on Monday morning will be about uh, what Argentina are going to do from now on um, without Messi and, and with the huge enormous problems behind the scenes that have caused uh, many of their issues so uh, there'll be a lot more to talk about as well not to mention an England preview of Jack Pitbrook who is going to be at Croatia Denmark tomorrow and then we'll be calling in uh, ahead of the big one on Tuesday night England Columbia which is I'm sure what most of you are interested in. So until then, uh, thank you as ever for listening. Um, apologies for any sound quality issues earlier when talking to Critch. Uh, it was quite windy down in Sochi, but he did a did a good job nonetheless, um, as they all do. And uh, until next time, I guess, uh, au revoir.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.